Hey, this is Ian. You're about to listen to episode 7 of the Canby Report. We recorded this last night at 7 p.m. and it is now 11.30 a.m. on May 8th. This morning has been quite hectic in Vancouver politics as the nonpartisan association, the NPA, has announced that candidate for mayor Hector Bremner did not pass the board's vote to go ahead. He had received the green light, reportedly, from the committee that reviewed him over the weekend, and but ultimately the board decided not to approve his bid. The board also refused to approve the bid of George Steves, one of the other candidates. Obviously, we didn't know this last night, but we do speculate it on, in the episode. Things are still evolving. Already, Adrian Crook, one of the urbanist candidates for the NPA City Council nomination, has said he's not going to pursue an NPA nomination anymore, but is going to run potentially an independent bid for council. More is happening, so we're going to keep following that. We're going to try and get a statement from Hector. We're going to try and get statements from other camps. Marison on Twitter is saying this is a takeover of the NPA by the Glenn Chernin camp, so we're going to actually have to dive more into Glenn Chernin at some point. All of this is to say there's a lot more to come, and you can probably expect another podcast Saturday at the latest. Stay subscribed to Canby Report, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Also, I realized rather than that BCTV intro, I should have always been using the Expo song. Yeah, you should. I'm going to use it next time. Report. It is Monday, May 7th, 2018, and it is 166 days until October 20th, the date of the municipal elections in Vancouver and the environs. I'm Matthew Naylor. I'm Ian Bushfield. And I'm Patrick Meehan. We have a fascinating show for you today. We're going to be talking about one hand and the other, the left and the right, of uh, the upcoming mayoral uh, races in Vancouver, and then talk about some other miscellany schools and taxes and stuff like that. Grumpy rich people. Exactly. So, let us start on the left, and gentlemen, seeing as how that is your bailiwick, why don't you start us off? So there is this Crossroads conference over the weekend, and we'll get to that because you were there, Patrick, and I know you have some mm-hmm. great clips that we'll throw in and some great perspectives. But before we get to that, we haven't actually recorded for two, like two weeks, so... Surprisingly, so everything has only happened in the last week, though. We had yeah, like a nice we were, quiet week. Though. We were lucky that we had the one week off before we had to come back. Which is what the original plan was, my head. <laughs> but this uh, race is just decided to be madness. Constant like, fun. Constant fun. So Cope comes out with, in advance of this Speaking conference. Of constant fun. Cope. The conference was the lead-in to the negotiations by the Vancouver District Labor Council for the left parties broadly speaking, to decide how they will prevent the NPA hordes from getting in. And each party needs to jockey for their position, and Cope's way of doing that was to say, here's what our recommended slate would be, and we would love to see, actually everyone should agree to see, two Cope candidates, two Green candidates, two One City candidates, and we'll save a spot for Gene Swanson. And then we won't worry about those other three, those can go to Vision or NPA or whatever developer hacks are out there. 
So I guess effectively you could look at that as three vision, two green, two cope, two one city, and the gene machine. With no endorsement of vision. Purity is preferable to winning. So, so, so cope has been incapable of getting a councillor elected for a little while now. Uh, giving them two slots when they don't have any real named candidates in the race yet seems a little bit much. Anne Roberts is in the race. Anne now, Roberts is in but... the race, but I think Anne Roberts has been removed from municipal civic politics long enough that she she lacks name recognition. Uh, I had to Google her, uh, and I, I'm pretty keyed into this kind of thing. Not saying that that necessarily means yes or no. Again, I I am very very skeptical of the like ability of name recognition to actually move the needle that much like if you have a well-run campaign if you're out there knocking on doors you have more than enough time to yeah. get your name out and there. cope as a party has some name recognition but yeah. i think it was it was really about strategy it's about yeah. getting out there early to say this is because cope has matter. been strong yeah. on the we shouldn't have vision in this because they're the ones who ran us into this mess well and i could really easily see those negotiations at vdlc getting to a point where cope gets left out vision is in and one city's in and greens are in and maybe sarah blythe and maybe the gene machine because they consider her to be cope and so i could see this being our this i think you're right this was planting a flag in advance to try to move the move the goalpost into a place where they're guaranteed a spot where they've they've sort of started the conversation not for nothing but you can't plant a flag and move a goalpost at the same time unless you're flying the flag from the goalpost look i don't understand football at all i assume that it involves a lot of flag planting um i know that there's like a throwing of a flag at some point oh my god have i played more sports than you guys no so, just not football okay after Cope does its announcement, there's this rally on, I think it was Tuesday, it might have been Wednesday, earlier this last week. Yeah, you went out to that, didn't you? Yeah, so Gene Swanson had the launch of the People's Platform, the city we need. It's a very typical leftist kind of protest, not like the other one we'll get to towards the end of the show, where people kind of come out, there's a giant banner over the uh, George Vancouver statue behind City Hall saying, you know, rent freeze. She's still running on that and gets everyone who's there, everyone except like the half dozen media who are sitting around. And I sort of stood there and took pictures. They come up onto the steps and they're like, yeah, we're all together. No one's actually rallying. Everyone's watching or everyone's in the rally. No one's watching the rally. <laughs> but I, I estimated 70 to 100 people. That's a pretty, end. like, I mean, that's a decent number. And this is a workday at this noon. This a weekday, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Some people maybe had lunch breaks to get there, but it ran 12 till 1, and right after that, they were going to go canvas on a street corner. Well, and, the, and, and, yeah, it was just a fascinating thing to see happen. Uh, and they had all those, they had the, the, the posters, the, the two main messages, I think, on the posters were stop the, the pipeline and rent freeze. I don't, I wouldn't say stop the pipeline was a main focus a lot of people brought that there and it is in the people's platform she launched which has always made been a bit funny for me because the pipeline doesn't come into vancouver well, I, I mean a tankers do, neither but... neither a rent freeze or stopping the pipeline are in vancouver's jurisdiction so none of this is outside of the norm for this kind of a campaign well and i have the people's platform over on my desk over there and is it called the people's platform the she yeah so well, she launched it as the, the water's edge like so she launched it as people's platform and she explicitly said in her speech uh, which I'll throw a clip in, that she's not running for, or she hasn't decided if she's running for council yet. So this platform is about putting policies first before individual politicians. I actually haven't decided yet whether I'll run for council or not, 
we're recycling our own t-shirts here. But the thing I care most about is not actually being elected, but actually ending homelessness, actually getting a rent freeze, actually taxing the rich, actually getting free transit and universal child care and the things that the city needs. This platform is about getting other parties and other candidates to take these issues seriously and come on board with them. So we're going to go out there and we're going to get tens of 10,000 signatures by Labor Day of people in this city who want a revolution at City Hall. I remember she did this during the by-election as well. The, that is the worst kept secret in that case. But what she announced is this is a people's platform and it's based off what a couple other leftist groups in like Seattle and elsewhere have done. And the idea is we're going to put these ideas out there and we want any candidate who is willing to take them forward to take them forward. Gene is obviously going to take them forward, yeah. but it's more about the ideas rather than the person. And I personally actually kind of like that model. It still generates excitement and it well, gets and it, it out there. It's, it manages to sort of be both sides. It's, it is a this is a very populist movement around one person. Uh, and it's also a movement that makes it feel like it's a broad, broad appeal movement where not everyone is, where, where everyone is on the same sort of movement and there's no leader. And she just happens to be the leader. So it manages to sort of be both. And they seem to be really dedicated. She has a substantial follower base. Well, and a lot of the people who were there for her by-election campaign were there at her rally. They still had the t-shirts or they had new yep. Rent Freeze Now t-shirts. And you could say, oh, that's just the same old, same old, but it does show that she's able to keep that momentum going. And so that force is still alive and well in Vancouver. Yeah, it'll be interesting. She touched on a couple other things. The only thing I'll bring up is right before I saw a couple people I knew there and one person was joking about, oh, you know, we should call for that statue of George Vancouver to get taken down. And halfway through, she gets into reconciliation and she says, the first thing we should do is rip this statue down. And then she goes on to talk about other things. Yeah. more substantive things in terms of reconciliation but i mean it is a valid point like i, I actually i think oh it, my god <laughs> no no well, no no let me let me finish i i like the statue i think the statue looks i think it's a it's a well-placed statue um but i also think that you know city hall needs to have more you know recognition of, yes which is what i've been saying don't take statues down just contextualize them with more statues well and what the person I was talking with in advance even said is like, in terms of colonialist racist assholes, George Vancouver is kind of down the ladder from like well, say Simon Fraser. Who, he didn't get off the boat very much. Yeah. Or Simon Fraser yeah. who stole the boats from the yeah. indigenous people. But so. I think, I think I mean, it is it, the problem with your issue, Matthew, is that I think your average statue, you, most of the good statue locations are taken by statues. That is not <laughs> true. We should that do a fourth plinth thing, like London. The, 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 the fourth plinth. I was... Yeah. Okay, so I was actually at Vancouver's equivalent of the fourth plinth, except it's the, the gorilla version this weekend. The Expo 86 Plaza that begins the Expo Trail, uh, that, that's just sort of like this random place on Clark under the uh, Skytrain line, where the devil with the big dong and the penguin were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so we, we do have it. There oh, are many yeah. places for statues. But that's no, that's not a good place for a statue because it has no walking. There's no, nobody walks by it. Strange fellows would beg to disagree, but. <clears throat> okay. There's, there's one business. Anyways, we're getting off topic. So that was Swanson's rally. Yeah. It went All reasonably right. well for that. So moving, right. moving from the um, like far left to the evil developer owned left oh, vision. Actually, the best segue there is. This rally ends in the most leftist rally way, which is first with a song, which was written about the city 
And it's a folk song about how the city's all corrupt and we need to get the people in there. But then they do a pantomime sketch where someone is dressed up as Mr. Vision Vancouver and he's promising affordability and then he takes it away by throwing up that it's 1500 And then a teacher comes and yells at him and then he says, oh, I've made such a huge mistake. Now I'll just run for the NPA. I, you know what? That's pretty funny. And honestly... That, I'm so sorry because the, like, think, it's just unfortunate that I can't capture the sound of eyes rolling. No, no. I think I think that this kind of a campaign really works for a, a pretty substantive section of the, the electorate. I know that it's not a campaign that works for like... Because the three of us are all policy wonk oriented. Like we, we get deep into the, the weeds of the policies. There and, are, and there's a like large... the right hasn't had their moonbeam. Oh, but you, let me, let me, let me finish. Is right. the thing is that it's it's this is a large swath of the electorate is pretty far left and is pretty angry and wants to see change and this kind of thing really works for them. So vision. I went to vision. I went to the vision after work event last week. I want to say early in the week. Uh, vision does this. Uh, the, one of the ways vision gets in in with its it sort of keeps connection with its membership is it runs uh, vision after work events as it calls them where they go all throughout Vancouver and they have pub nights. Uh, they usually have sort of like a you know a week every month where they have a pub night in a different neighborhood every every day or something. This that or the other thing. And so this one I went to was at the Pint downtown. They've done Toby's quite a bit on Commercial Drive and a few other places. Uh, and they're, they had a decent enough turnout for an event that happens pretty regularly. Uh, a lot of people that were there were running for nominations, so, which is to be believed, is to be understood. But, you know, again, there was a lot of energy there. There was a lot of people that were sort of expecting Vision to do well. Um, but noticeably, no one mentioned anything about Vision running their own mayoral candidate. And that was the weirdest thing to come out this last week because their way of... Because, you know, two or three days later... Well, then, you know... Maybe the accusations of Vision being run in the back rooms with, you know... Well, all parties are run in back rooms. I know. This is my point, is that, like, anyone who who calls any party, you know, an open organization is, you know, they're not a member of an actual party. They're just a member of a, a, you know, a disorganized mob. These kind of decisions are made in the back rooms. Uh, and apparently there is some shuffling yeah. uh, to stack the deck. I'm gonna keep with one metaphor on this one, uh, <laughs> and to uh, to anoint a uh, a mayor. A well, mayor and, and, and so, I, presumably um, like reclaimed vegetable oil. So, uh, so, so th- credit to Just- uh, Justin McElroy for for making the connection was uh, on Thursday afternoon last week. Kennedy Stewart, a member of Parliament for Burnaby South, and we'll get to him in a bit, uh, said that he'd be interested in possibly running for mayor. Well, and this follows Mario Canseco, including him spontaneously in a poll. Oh, interesting. And he did well. This well, was the yeah. second one where Adrian Carr expanded her lead of, yep. would you, she be a good choice? And Mario was just like, oh, let's throw Kennedy's name in there. He did well. And so people went to him and went, hey, would you run for mayor? And that's when he went, hadn't thought of that, but maybe... And like I was saying, credit to Justin McElroy for pointing out that the timing was really interesting that Thursday afternoon, Kennedy Stewart says this and Friday morning, Vision comes out and says it's running a mayoral nomination. And I, I, I don't know, and I've heard nothing from anybody inside. Uh, and, and, uh, and and Kennedy Stewart certainly didn't, didn't clear the waters there when I asked him about it. Um, but I don't know uh, if there's a connection there. One thing that's interesting about this nomination that Vision's trying to run is they gave it a one week time to enter. May 11th. Uh, I reached out to Vision and I got some answers back. Uh, May 11th is the deadline to get your nomination papers in uh, with a uh, with the mayoral race actually being approximately, I think, a month after that. And think about NPA who have had their mayoral race open for time immemorial in a way. 
with the vote finally coming on May 29th, and I think it closed officially to entries earlier this month. Or... It was it was April 29th or 30th or yeah. something like that. But they had plenty of time to get mm-hmm. in. Vision's like, everyone get in in a week. We know only one person is officially actually interested. Yeah, it's it's um, it, it's this is a tactic that the left will use, which is the the snap ele- the you know the rule snap election. Oh, the the party is pure. We've we've created it well. All right, let's shut down the membership list very quickly. You know, but still with the perceived requirement for fairness, and then move forward to the vote in uh, a short enough time that there won't be too too much uh, movement. But it's also important that they announce this race prior well, to the negotiations and well, and, like and that, also they that's their... not that's not a, like a fair assessment of it because the closing of nominations is May 11th, but the actual mayoral race is June 24th. And my understanding of Vision's rules yeah, are that the close of membership deadline to vote in uh, in the the mayor election is 30 days prior to the actual mayor election. So there's still two weeks after the close of nominations to to run around and get your candidate get your get your your membership in. I mean, like, I was a member of the Federal Liberal Party when they had a May, or it was something like a May close-off for memberships and a delegate selection in September and didn't have the actual vote until December. So, like, I can still say that that's short with some credibility. So anyway, so Vision, Vision does have, so Vision has their mayoral nomination race now, uh, which I think, given uh, one city a week earlier had come out and said that they won't support Adrian Carr for mayor, uh, means that I think we're now looking at it being relatively unlikely that there is a so-called unity candidate running under unity banner, uh, which doesn't preclude Vision being the only party on the left running a mayoral candidate. Cope has done it before to yeah. no success. Uh, Co- well, in, Cope well has, in recent history. Cope has chosen to not run a mayoral candidate before uh, and allowed Vision to run. Uh, I think I don't think one city has the capacity to run a mayoral candidate, nor do they wish to if there is a mayoral candidate that they can broadly support. Uh, I think it looks more and more like Adrian Carr is probably not running, although that could change next week. Yeah, it seems um, to go back and forth by the yeah. way. I know, fingers crossed. And, but... and I think, and Shauna Sylvester has said, uh, and, and I, I talked to her about her, her quote in the Global Mail, where she said, where she was quoting the Global Mail saying that she would step back if she, if, if Adrian Carr ran. Uh, and the, she said that what she'd actually said, and she, you know, she didn't didn't use the word misquoted, but she said there was a bit more context. She said to me that you know what she had intended to say to mean was that if there was a candidate running for whom they had a better chance of winning than she did, for whom she broadly agreed with them on most things, and for whom they she thought she could you know she could rely on them to be a good mayor, that yeah she would step back and support that person. And I think that that's a reasonable position to take. Well, it looks like Adrian Carr is at a crossroads, and the left is at a crossroads. And Patrick, you were at a crossroads too, weren't you? There was a <laughs> a conference recently where you know there was all the orange astroturf in the world. Uh, well, not just orange. I think that when you talk about the and green, yeah, and and, and red too. Fed liberal, federal liberals are certainly on the the non NPA side at times, or some of them. Some are. of them, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what Vision has been: is a unity of the a uniting of the the left of center federal liberals and the the the, the, the true Democrats. enough. But but so um, you you did a couple of things at this this yeah. conference. You got a, a couple short interviews. Yeah. Uh, so so to give some context, though, really quickly though, is that uh, Crossroads Conference is uh, not cro- not related to Crossroad Christian Communication. Yeah, no, although that's a very hard one to to Google. What the idea was that Crossroads Conference was Isn't meant to Carl to... Rove's pack named Crossroads. Pack? Yes, it is too. <laughs> Uh, the, the idea was to get everybody together. So uh, the major unions and organized BC and a few others organized uh, a big uh, get together on the Saturday 
for all people of a progressive bent or people that wanted a progressive uh, city council to come together and sort of vision what that would look like. I don't know necessarily that the programming of the event was as 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 well as conducive to that as it, it could have been. I think that there it didn't exactly lend itself well to sort of talking to a lot of people. You talked a lot to your table, but you didn't exactly move around to other tables. Well, and I know they ran into some early controversy because... Uh, Chinatown Action Group had one speaker who was going to be on a panel, and then this coalition against trans antagonism suggested one of that that speaker had retweeted and done some anti yeah I saw that. some you and know trans exclusionary feminist stuff, and then and it's odd to me that there was only one there was a keynote at the beginning, right. and he was a, a, a Montreal based local activist. Uh, I, I I quibble with some of his politics. He had a, a very sort of a I think what I would consider an out, outmoded concept of leftist politics, but there was a keynote and there were no other panels. Well, so that's because Organized BC slash VDLC canceled this panel when the controversy came Sorry, up. With Vancouver, Vancouver District, District Labor Council. Council canceled this panel when it came up. And then Chinatown Action Group said, this is bullshit. You're silencing Chinese yeah, it was Vancouverites, an odd, odd and then and I'm not sure. The like it made yeah. no no one was happy after that, and it just and looked ugly. And there were open letters competing with open letters. And on the buffet for uh, this particular conference of the left was it's young, like, as always. <laughs> I read through the articles, and I'm not going to try to yeah, summarize them it. as like the white man here, yeah. but I can <laughs> see the arguments coming from all sides, and it's a messy inevitable. So there was maybe. there was I think I I was quoted about 150 people there. Uh, I got there. I worked really hard to get there on uh, as early as I could. Registration was from eight to nine, and this is my little anecdote: is I I realized I wanted to get there as early as I can could because I wanted to maximize the amount of time I had to sort of walk around and chat with people. Uh, and so I got there at eight thirty, you know, a good half hour into registration, uh, feeling like I was getting there late. And as any good Vancouver event, there were six people there at that point, uh, and uh, I think ninety percent of the people arrived between eight fifty and nine twenty. Uh, and so, you, much like any Vancouver event ever, everyone arrived a little bit fashionably late. Once we got at about 9 o'clock, I was looking around, and I saw Shauna Sylvester walked by me. I saw Kennedy Stewart had arrived. I, I looked, I saw, I, I got a chance to say hi to Pete Fry. I saw um, Ben Bollinger and Christine Boyle from, from One City. Uh, I saw Brandon Yan from One City. I saw Tanya Paz from Vision. Uh, and what I'm getting to here is this idea that basically everybody that's running for anything was there. And you gave them all our card. And I gave them all our card. Because uh, we have fancy we have new cards. Fancy new cards. Uh, notab notable, notably absent, uh, Adrian Carr was the only notable absence that I would notice. Uh, RJ Aquino, I would say, is notably absent, but I think he is like a week re removed from having a child. That's um, fair so paternity I'm not, leave. I'm certainly, certainly going to chalk that one up to that. Uh, and Morgan Ogier, if, if I hadn't meant, uh, mentioned, was there as well. And so, yeah, it was a real turnout of people that were running. And, you know, people that are involved in organized labor, people that are involved in the environmental movement and so on and so forth. So it was a, it was a smattering of people that are easily recognized by people that are involved in politics in Vancouver. All the flavors of granola. <laughs> well, no, and there were business people there. I mean, I sat at a table with Colleen Hardwick from uh, Place Speak. Yeah, uh, the, the, like um, Whole Foods granola. Probably accurate, actually. So you managed to sit down for a couple minutes with Kennedy Stewart and Shauna Sylvester. Should we just throw it over to those? Absolutely. So take it away, Patrick. 
You were just talking about uh, democracy and sort of where people are at in terms of uh, you know their 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 faith in democracy and where those numbers are in, in Vancouver. Could you go back over that for a second? Sure. I think a lot of us don't recognize how strong the Trump narratives are at an underlying level in Vancouver and particularly in Metro. We found in our own work at the Simon Fraser University Center for Dialogue that we were hearing fake news, climate skepticism, um, Canada first, and, and, and a deep level of racism that I had never heard before. So that made us go and do some research. And we've learned that 41% of Canadians um, do not favor democracy as the right way forward. And the number numbers here in Metro Vancouver particularly have doubled in the last five years. So what we have is this fragmentation that's going on between the center and left, and that that fragmentation is not serving our democracy. And it's not only what's going on in our own city, it's the digital incursions we're getting from other countries, wherever democracy exists. And if you talk to the federal government, they'll tell you it's not just at the federal level or the provincial level, it's wherever democracy happens, whether it's at a community centre, a park board, or in local municipal elections. And, and that's a serious consideration going forward in this particular election. That's really fascinating. And so I know we talked about your, your independent race and your independent bid, uh, and I know a lot of people have given you sort of like flack for being a vision or what have you. Uh, and uh, uh, Do you want to sort of put into your own words sort of why you're running independently? Sure, and I don't want to deny my vision background because I got involved in vision when it was a big tent. And I was actually one of the co-founders of Women in Vision, and I remember those days when there'd be 80 people at my house sitting around talking about issues. But this is part of the, what I see as the problem is we've fragmented now. We're, what, five or six different parties now on the left? And, and that's a serious problem. So for me, it wasn't an option to run for vision. My work has always been about working across difference and working across political spectrums and enabling people to come to the table, bringing them best selves forward. And I think the challenges are so great right now that no one party can do this. And we're seeing today at Vancouver Crossroads, people coming together, really looking at the issues. And I suspect as we sit around and we look across the left, we're not that different. There is alignment in our values, and, and we need to get beyond our own institutional partisanship and say what's in the best interest of the city. And I think that's what I was trying to do by running as an independent, is saying I'm giving up what is right for a brand and saying what's right, right. for the city. Uh, and just one last question is, uh, is there like one specific policy that you'd like to really highlight as something that'll be a policy of yours? I'll be highlighting many, but the one specific policy I'm ready to talk about right now is I'd like to see all the co-ops get their leases renewed immediately. Okay, well, that's a really good policy. I think like, that's the issue where a lot of co-op leases are coming up now because they were signed in the 1970s, the 50-year leases. Is that the, the case? Yeah, and I know that there's very few people within City Hall that don't look at co-ops and see their social housing stock, and I think that's a mistake. I think it's a serious mistake. And we don't have strong enough advocates within City Hall right now to the co-op sector. And that has to change because that's one of the unique parts about having mixed income neighborhoods. Um, it's a model that we should actually be uh, exporting and developing further, not rescinding. And, and I'm very concerned right now that we're not going to get the leases renewed in a timely enough way. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.
All right, so I'm standing here with Kennedy Stewart, uh, and you're the member of parliament for? Burnaby South. Burnaby South. All right, how long have you been a member of parliament? I was elected May 2nd, uh, 2011, so I've been an MP for seven years. Great. And you're, I think, you, you said yesterday you're considering potentially looking at a race for mayor of Vancouver? Mm -hmm. I'm probably a little stronger than that now. <laughs> Fair enough. And with that, uh, so to get it out of the way, because obviously there's these questions come out, uh, is you're an MP for Burnaby, Burnaby South. South, yep. But you're thinking of running for mayor of Vancouver. I live in Vancouver, and I have deep connections with the city. Uh, and, you know, for example, I used to work for the city planning department. I used to work for the city park board, uh, teach at SFU uh, downtown campus. I'm a professor there in public policy, uh, have advised provincial Vancouver governments on policy. So I have a long connection with the city and a deep love for it. So I, uh, I think I'm a, that, that makes a good candidate. Great. And so Vision announced yesterday that they're opening up a mayoral nomination. Are mm -hmm. you considering putting your head in for that? Yeah, I have. Uh, I think because I've only been at this about 36 hours that I really uh, owed it to everybody to speak to everyone I could. So I have been talking with Adrian yeah. Carr. I've been talking to people in Vision, uh, Louie, Heather Deal I talked to today. I've been talking to One City. I've been talking to Cope, talking to unions and businesses. And, and I really want to get a lay of the land of, of where things are before I make my final decision. But uh, I will be making an announcement. Uh, this week early, uh, perhaps as early as Monday, uh, about my intentions uh, and what that means for me federally as well. Okay, and then on that, uh, sort of with the interest of going into Vancouver politics in, in sort of where it's at, is uh, what do you think, uh, I mean obviously you're going to say housing, but what do you think about housing is the biggest issue right now? Yeah, I'm going to say housing, 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 <laughs> and of course it's affordability. Uh, oh. The one thing about me is that um, I spent many years uh, being a housing uh, consultant, so for example, I spent a year in Abu Dhabi uh, giving housing advice there, how to make it more affordable to live. I've worked for Terra Housing for many years, who were a, you know, a premier social housing developer, uh, advised the United Nations on housing. So I, uh, I do think what, part of the problem we have here in Vancouver is that we thought the market would sort it all out, and it, and it hasn't. So, right. so I do think uh, you don't... I mean, if you go to a housing conference anywhere, they don't get very excited about these questions because there are obvious solutions. Like, for example, um, you know, rental-only buildings, rent, rent to own cooperatives. There, there are all these kind of answers that perhaps uh, the market can't provide or needs a little uh, nudging to provide. So, I think that's really the answer here. Uh, there are, there are a lot of. Um, you know, the municipality has a, a bunch of land that you can use, and that's already happening. Federal government also has lands that, that can be used, and they've been promising housing, so we can force that delivery. The other thing is, is that there are lands that people who work in Vancouver, they might be okay with living just outside the boundary of Vancouver, and you could work with other municipalities to provide, uh, to use Vancouver's kind of uh, financial muscle in order to leverage housing in, in other close municipalities. Okay, and you've gotten into a little bit more granular than sort of I expected there, which is good. Oh, yeah. Um, but the last question I have is, uh, what, like, is there one specific policy you would like to really highlight as something you think is interesting that should be really looked at? Well, in terms of housing, it, it's... How do you bring the federal and provincial governments back into this? I mean, there's been lots of promises. <laughs> See a little bit of movement with the provincial government uh, with modular housing, which is a good start. But I do think we just need a big plan and we just start rolling it out. Uh, so I would say, you know, and that's part of the role of mayor is to, is to leverage that. So to play tough with the prime minister, to be tough with the, with the premier and say this has to happen here and we've got a real crisis that has to be solved. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you. Cheers.
Well, Patrick, those were absolutely fascinating, and thank you for doing that. <laughs> well, thanks. It was it was really fun to do. Um, yeah. So going from here, after the conference, Sunday, all day, Monday, which is today, so they, and the next couple days. Yeah, so they scheduled Vancouver District Labor Council, who's, as we've said before, is sort Shady of... Shady union people. <laughs> no. Jeez. No. <laughs> uh, Vancouver District Labor Council, which is trying to sort of broker all the parties into coming up with a situation where they're not running against each other effectively, but can run for their own people to their capacities, is I guess what they would probably say. And so uh, they scheduled four days of negotiations, uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and at any point, an agreement could be reached, uh, or we could get to Wednesday and no agreement is made. Um, yeah. So what has happened, in addition to that, uh, is that it's known that Vision and One City and uh, the Greens all have the ability to sign an agreement on the day. Because each party got of those three and Cope got to send, I think, three people, and the Gene Swanson team got to send Oh, three is Gene people. there as well? I you thought heard? so. That's possible. I haven't heard I what, so. one way or the other. Yeah. It's well, not like this is getting published. Well, that sounds like a fascinating next episode of the Canby Report. But one of the things that I've heard uh, is, and I, I tried to get this confirmed fully, but I've been told that COPE is not able to sign an agreement at VDLC. They have to go back to their membership with any agreement that is reached and get it approved by their members. Democracy is very important from the now, grassroots. Now, if if I'm incorrect in the information that I've been given, I've been given this information, I've managed to clarify it through one or two Well, we know people sources. will get back to us when we're um, If I am incorrect and somebody can prove it to me, I would love to be able to post a clarification. Um, but from the information I've received and my ability to clarify it that I've managed so far, COPE will not be able to sign an agreement while they're there. They have to go back to their membership for approval. Well, too much demos, not enough Kratos in that do, particular problem. How do you not... That is the ultimate lefty problem, is not trusting your negotiators and and saying, no, 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 we all need grassroots control over every decision. Well, you think about a union negotiation with management. They'll send their negotiators, but they'll still send it back to a ratification vote among their members. Yeah, so maybe it's that same that's logic. True. Yeah, well, that's a, so maybe the negotiators will come back with a... And the right still needs to have the reasonable. board and the shareholders vote on things. So, yeah, no, like, that's true. Okay. At any rate, speaking Let's... of the right, the NPA, uh, CSI <laughs> NPA is in full swing as there have been the Greenlight Committee investigations of the various candidates, including some uh, possible conflict of interest allegations against Hector Bremner, the mayoral candidate. And we touched and on for... some of those with Jen St. Dennis last week. Yes, I uh, unfortunately was yeah disposed. Yeah. Shit went down. I... Uh, <laughs> I apologize for nothing. Anyway, so Francis Beale had an article out or a tweet out uh, about the recent signups for the MPA race. And apparently, and this is interesting, the number two signup after Hector Bremner is Glenn Turin. Now, Hector Bremner needs to have the most because Hector Bremner is trying to stage a talk takeover of a party, basically. Well, although so is Glenn Turin. Yeah. That we have there's two there's two different angle takeovers occurring here. John Cooper is the establishment. Yes, John Cooper. So John Cooper can depend on a NPA. certain <laughs> amount a certain amount of the established membership. And like the membership to these things isn't super huge, fifteen hundred, two thousand, whatever. Yeah. Brenner needs to sign up a couple hundred people in order to uh, have a chance at winning because his support wasn't going to come from the existing membership. Glenn Turnin is is not coming from the supply side so much as I don't know. Get bikes off my street. 
Yeah. Well, and and no, and a limit on development in places and a whole yeah. host. He he very much is coming from sort of the uh, an outmoded lawn. Come up, get off my, you know, yeah, constituency, and a very 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 angry at any concept of government too. So Francis Beale's tweet said something along the lines of, well, I don't have it in front of me, but Chernin has the most signups after Bremner, and Chernin's kind of banking on this idea that. Bremner might get the red light from the green light committee. Well, I have never seen a political party talk so openly about its green lighting process. Green lighting processes occur in the background. You don't know they've even happened. They, I, I mean, I can tell you, for example, that I've, I've been told reliably that one city's green light process has already greenlit two candidates and is in the process of green lighting more and will likely have more. It could my could potentially even have more candidates greenlit by now from the time I found out my information. Uh, I know from friends that have been on greenlight committees for different po- political parties before. This is not a hard. This is not. This is not a process that should be played out in public. And yet the NPA is. It seems hell bent on doing this. They're they're posting about their greenlight process and so on and so forth. I'm just having horrible flashbacks to 2007, 2008 <laughs> when anonymous liberal insiders kept. Just an endless stream of bullshit coming from... You know, you know that's not minutes. one year, right? Anonymous liberal insiders, endless stream of bullshit. Uh, no, and no, at the he, federal level, is basically every year from 1998 on... But the flood tides were highest in 2006 or seven, At least from my perspective. It felt like it. Yeah. Anyway, so... Brenner might be getting the green light. Uh, so and, and, and we might the, know. And we might know before this is end, published. Which is why I have recorded three separate things. And we're going to splice this in because this is going out tomorrow. So, what a shocker. Hector Bremner has been eliminated from the NPA mayoral nomination race. So, yeah. The thing is that I just, I don't understand why this is being played out so much in public. Other than if they're leading up to possibly... Because it's a hostile takeover him. of a party. Like, and the other thing is, and this is and this is pure speculation at this point, but I could very easily see the establishment types believing, and rightly so, I think, that if if he Hector Bremner gets disqualified, that a large portion of his base would rather Cooper than Chernin. I think a large portion of the base will leave the party. Oh, absolutely. I think <laughs> so too. But if you want to hold on to your party. Uh, if you want to hold on to your party, I could very easily see, be- believing, rightly so, that Bremner's people will still vote for Cooper over Chernin. And I think that helps them beat back both of the invading hordes. Well, and Bremner's smart enough not to run an independent center-right Oh, he would never do campaign. that, I don't think. So, he, he's, he's a loyal, I think he's a, a party loyalist. Is he? I don't know. The MPA doesn't... No, no, I don't mean, a par- I don't mean to the MPA. I mean to, I think, the, the cause... The cause of, of, of the free market enterprise party. Yeah. Um, and I think that he, he doesn't want to be seen to be a traitor. Because you know how traitors are viewed in political circles. I, I am aware of that. But this is this is a hostile takeover. And so, like, I am interested to see how that dynamic would play out. But yeah. I would be very surprised if the NPA, with its new members and its new volunteers, could be able to count on them if they didn't select more younger candidates in particular yeah but that's i think been the problem of the npa for a long time and 
I mean, yeah, but they're in it to win it this time. Like they're trying to win. Or they did that some with parts of. They were the, they're that way with Kirk Lapointe. They thought Kirk Lapointe was going to be the outsider that was going to come in to win them the race. Gregor's not well liked. Kirk Lapointe's a media guy. He'll be able to be to schmooze and savvy his way into the mayor's. It's see. such a weird thing. It's because he ran a media company. Doesn't mean he's a media guy. He wasn't a media personality. Oh uh, well, I mean, it's like, oh, I'm not yeah, disagreeing with you here. I'm not disagreeing with you here. But that was the way it was branded. Uh, and so they like a real question is like. The NPA has not been a party politically. They have historically been an association that have been run by the board. And I'm talking about from their inception until really now. They have never been run as a political movement or a political party. They have been run as a board that would win elections. And that's worked for them well. And I think that that doesn't transition well into the 21st century. It's Vancouver Inc. It's the corporation yeah. that wants and to it, run Vancouver. It really was historically that. Whereas, and, like, and unfortunately, neither Vancouver Inc. nor Vancouver Inc. Light Vision uh, <laughs> were able to deliver what the like ostensible rising professional class, yet like rising young professional class of Vancouver has been promised forever, which is like you'll be able to live in the city. And well, if the promise of Vancouver Inc. was to make a bunch of people a lot of money, they did that. Yes, well, but okay, not, yeah, and but homeowners. Like, yeah, yes, but, like, but not let's, the let's people who at... were going to be like the traditional MPA voters 15 years down the road. And then those people were like, wait, but wait when what? Po- Where's my condo? When do political parties ever think of long-term interests as opposed to short-term gain? Yes, but I'm just explaining what when has they're, happened. When they're in their last year of office, they know they're leaving and retiring. Jean Chrétien. So <laughs> Millennium Scholarship Foundation was great. Okay, and what what is it? Eight years now? Uh, ten years since uh, the NPA has lost power. So it's ten well, years. Yep. Ten, ten years. Which is so around it's the time well they usually time that they should yeah. begin to start to realize that but they I think, screwed things. For but really. I think it's hard. I think it's hard for the people that have been running the party for so long to get around to get their heads around this idea, and they haven't really had to deal with this since probably the Philip Owen Civil War. Is having to deal with oh actually i mean sure that sure they did a little bit with christy clark sam sullivan but that ended the way that it should the the insiders wanted it with the insiders winning is i don't think that this is a party that's really had to deal with a real grassroots movement trying to take it to take over the party because it's never been a party and this is very difficult for them to understand into like for the the people running the party to understand and i can understand why they're having a difficulty with it well when all you have is concrete it's very difficult to understand grass but just to touch on one last thing with the NPA, we talked about the mayoral race, but the thing we haven't actually touched on is along with Hector Bremner are all these people running along for council nominations, and yeah. yet there is no clear path for them to actually become council candidates. So th- I'm hearing more and more frustration from these people who are going, when is our process? Yeah. And there's this hint that it may be like you said, where it's just a rubber stamp from the board or they pick their own i could i I could see that i think uh speaking to vision people at vision after dark uh or vision after dark vision (laughs) uh vision uh, vision after work vision in the darkness vision in the Um, vision in the wilderness but speaking to vision people vision after work is that the green light party is known or the green light committee is known they're you know they're working with candidates for nominate for the, the that are running for nomination you know you register yourself your the the green light process is underway I, I already talked about how one city's green light process is underway and yet the NPA is leaving these councillors completely sort of in the dark where you know where are they if the, the, these council candidates where where do they, when do they when do they step up and start running now I mean vision vision candidates don't know when their council nomination is going to be but part of that is because they don't know how many seats they're running mm-hmm. the NPA doesn't have that problem 
They can run. They, the, the NPA isn't entering into a power sharing agreement with anybody. And so why is it that there isn't a green light process underway for the council candidates is what I don't know. Well, you know, and, and also school board doesn't have their uh, nomination races either. But some other stuff has come up with respect to schooling in Vancouver. And it is the school tax revolt, ostensible, nascent, etc. So I talked about this on Politico's with Scott from the provincial angle. Because this relates back to the provincial budget where the BCNDP introduced a 31-point plan to deal with the housing crisis. And one of those points was we're going to, they didn't call it a mansion tax, they called it a school tax. tax. It was a school tax. It was an increase on the school tax. So when you pay your property tax, a certain amount goes to fund schools. The, the additional tax rate is 0.2% on the residential portion assessed between 3 and $4 million. And 0.4% uh, on the residential portion assessed over $4 million. So if you have a $2.9 million home, you will see no additional increase in your tax rate. But if you have a $3.5 million home, like former BC Premier Mike Harcourt, who spoke out against this, you will see, I think, roughly a $1,000 increase in your taxes per year. Don't quote me on the math. It's around there. So it's a slightly progressive property tax, essentially. And no one seemed to care at the time. Well, and, and seemed, I don't think many people still do. Yeah. So everything was quiet until this about a week ago when in Trimble Park, Andrew Wilkinson, leader of the BC Liberals and two realtor firms, I guess, sent these letters to a bunch of wealthy homeowners saying, you're going to be out thousands of dollars a year, which some of them will. And they held a rally at Trimble Park where they had these people with identically printed signs and... The Gene Swanson rally had printed signs, but they were like pieces of paper that you held. These were like nice signs on sticks. I'm sorry that the right supports local printing businesses. But they don't apparently support graphic designers, but that's a separate (laughs) issue. So they hold this protest. They're all wealthy, mostly people in this neighborhood, in Kitsilano, Point Grey, who have these three-plus million-dollar homes, holding a little protest in Trimble Park saying, we don't want to pay this tax. And and that's what blows my mind the most is for every $100,000 over 3 million that your house is assessed, you're going to pay an additional $20 a month. That is shockingly low. And you can defer and your if, taxes. If you're over 55, you're over 55, you can defer your taxes and, and effectively endlessly. Uh, and that, yeah. Well, until death. Or you sell the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at which case your deferrals are at lower than interest. Yeah, the, so the government the, is basically loaning you money on this. The government charges a 1.1% interest rate on the deferral per year. Oh, so it's it's actually... Less like, than inflationary. It, it's irresponsible not to take the deferral. It is but literally some, irresponsible But some people are complaining that it feels really bad to defer. Okay. Well, the, this entire debate that, that is I like believe, millennials I, rolling their eyes. That, I yeah. believe, is the dying remnants of noblesse oblige. Well, the but, thing, but but again, this was brought in in ninety in ninety two, I think it was by the BCNDP when they got into power as an and, idea, and, and 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 it was a huge huge tax revolt erupted. At that point, they suggested a five hundred thousand dollar property value. We had the NDP try to do this in the early nineties, and they're doing it again now, and it's really fascinating to see the difference in tone that's occurred. And yeah, Ian, you mentioned that they that they brought it in at a lower dollar value in nineteen ninety two or whatever it was, but. While a different a lower dollar value, I mean, a inflation, but also be like 
probably it was a i don't i would have to run the inflation calculators and the average cost of housing calculators but i mean given the fact that in 1992 i think houses and kits were going for like a hundred thousand dollars like this is probably a similar thing and now you have this like i think broad support for this tax uh, but, I mean, we'll see. We have to see some polling or whatever because I don't want to suggest a silent majority because I've always hated that phrase. But this vocal minority is very angry at the extra, like, $1,000 a year they have to pay. I'm just going to close uh, by reminding people that in the last year, the amount of wealth increase by wage earners cumulatively for all of Vancouver residents was less than the amount of value increase in the total value of Vancouver residential property owners, which is insane and infuriating and why I don't care about these people having an extra thousand bucks to pay because they have a house. Bulldoze it and build more condos. Well, and I actually have one last thing I want to say is that I saw saw a meme on the internet and I I really liked it. Period. (laughs) Yeah, done. I'm out. Uh, No, I, I saw this meme on the internet and I really liked it is... That, you know, if you have a $3.4 million home, uh, your increased tax assessment is going to go up by about $800. This year, I received the maximum increase in my rental amount that I could get. uh, And that amount was $70 a month. That is $800 a year. So every year a renter is getting these you know, $700, $800 a year increases in the amount that they have to pay in rent. In reality, I should I should posit that is that it's more I'm sharing my rent with my partner, right? But like, we're seeing these like five to $600, $700, $800 year increases in rent every year. But, you know, property taxes don't go up by five or $600 a year. Wow. Wow. And so, Dry your tears well, with a silk napkin. And so, yeah, and so all these, all these houses that are really angry that on a one-time basis, they're going to see their property taxes go up by like seven or $800 a year because so they own a three and a half, because they own a three and a half million dollar home. I'm like, who cares? And I feel like the 50, whatever percent of it, of Vancouver that rents it also feels the same. Anyway. So this tension spilled over from, I guess the other side in a different kind of protest last week when, housing activists decided that City Hall didn't need to open one day so that we could know the importance of the housing crisis. And you, I think, have a bit better idea of what went on. Yeah, so what ended up happening is uh, this advocacy, local advocacy group that's a, that, that fights on behalf of social housing is really seeking for certain areas to be zoned for solely social housing. Uh, essentially, what they want is certain development, prop- development properties to be only, only social housing allowed, which is what Vancouver has done in some of its zoning of the very core of China, uh, of sort of the downtown east side, as well as, you know, less than 100%, more like 50% or what have you not in the areas immediately outside of the downtown east side, uh, is that they're not fully zoning it that way, but they're doing things to make it that way. And so there's this one particular property that they wanted to be 100% zoned for social housing. And I guess they weren't getting their way enough that they wanted to, so they shut down City Hall. They blocked every entrance and every exit. City workers could not get in. And council had to meet outside, had... and they actually took pictures of themselves sort of standing in a circle saying, we're going to convene council. I now and... convene council in this park. <laughs> and luckily for them, I guess, it was a gorgeous, sunny spring day, like yep. almost 18 degrees that day, I think. I'm and then they just went. The teacher had let them have class outside that day. But they immediately <laughs> called for recess. And, 
Well, wouldn't you if your teacher didn't yeah. show up for five? I, I think that's how the rules were. Already outside. Yeah. But yeah, no. And so they, they they did manage to disrupt City Hall for a half a day. They got their day in the news. This was, I think, a success for the group in terms of what they wanted to do. And, you know, power to them. They even had somebody standing on a table in the, the planning department uh, taking over the planning department. Yeah, because I guess some planners got to work early. The protests in the city are always more fun than most because... You can never shut down Parliament for a day or have your activists like walk into the chamber and like sit oh. in the speaker's chair. Oh yeah, no. But one... Gene is sat in the mayor's chair just when they like took it over one day. Yeah. Although, like you know, in a shout out to cool Vancouver-ish history, uh, the engineers stole the speaker's chair once. Ooh, I yeah. did not know that. Yeah, it was one of their pranks for Skulk Night. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Huh. But yeah, so that was a fun, I don't want to say fun little protest, but I think like it, I think that's, I think you would consider that an effective protest and, you know, interesting piece of tidbit. Sure. All right. Well, City Hall actually did manage to get some business done. They have voted on uh, liquor law changes to BC, including, and I, I find this so delightful, uh, the possible introduction of a nightmare. Whenever that, uh, I hear that word or that, that phrase, I, I just hear the theme from Darkwing Duck playing for some reason. But, Nightmare. This would be someone who is responsible for, like, advocating... Basically, a Mary Ellen Turple-Lafond for nightlife. Yeah, it's somebody that advocates for, for the... Like a children's advocate. Well, and and not, just, not just nightlife, too. It's also, you know, getting around at night, transportation at night, the, oh, the whole nine yards. Yeah, so, the, so, the city at night. Yeah, the, the sex workers and things like that. Uh, it, it, there's some value to the area. There's a number of cities around... Vancouver after 4 p.m. in the winter. There's a number of cities around the world that have this. And, for mm -hmm. example, London I saw brought up in a lot of articles, and it was the n nightmare who really helped spearhead the getting the tube to run 24 hours, which... Until like two years ago, you couldn't take the tube. Well, after... and most of the tube lines still don't run 24 hours. Yeah, it's and extremely hard to run a rail line 24 hours. So finding ways to expand transit access, finding ways to promote, because people are up in a city at all hours. Not as many, but there are still people out at any hour in any yeah. big city. So well, that came up. There was a number of other minor tweaks around the liquor laws to make it a little less no fun city. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still less fun city. Bars can stay open like an hour later, that uh, kind of thing. Even then, some bar, not yeah, many. but not all uh, bars, and uh, only in certain circumstances. And I think it's I the think most Vancouver reason. liquor law yeah, change I think, ever. I think nonprofits can keep serving straight to eleven and some things like that. Yeah. Every time I see a headline this like this, I get so hopeful, and then I have my hopes immediately well, dashed. I mean, the city it's almost like a nightmare on Elm Street. There is an Elm Street in Vancouver. I <laughs> was right. well, I was pleased to see think. I was pleased to see in this that they tabled at least the potential introduction of CCTV along Granville Street. And by tabled, you don't mean put forward as a bill. To, no, yeah, to the I house mean to consider. You mean table away. as in put away. Yeah, the two different, very different definitions of the term table. Of the same word. That is called a contronym, a word that means the opposite of itself. Yeah. Uh, and then, Ian, you would you'd have some some insight with this as being a, a board member of the the BCCLA. So it was more the staff who did the lead yeah, work yeah, on this. And the basic premise is it's not generally that effective to put cameras everywhere to stop crime, despite your sort of gut intuition about the police state. Police states just essentially arrest more indigenous and black people. So no more cameras or yeah, fewer, was, not I, I more really cameras. Happy. I was happy to see that they, 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 they next that. And yeah. I mean, like cameras have their place. 
like security theater above bike racks. They're, they're actually quite effective there when people know that they're being watched. Even a empty shoebox with a lens on it. Put a is... fake camera up there. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> that, that's the compromise. <laughs> fake cameras everywhere. <laughs> They'd be cheaper to run. So, uh, we're not the only podcast in town talking about politics uh, and talking about Local Vancouver. politics. Local politics. Uh, there's two new podcasts in town. Uh, I've listened to one and Ian's listened to the other. I've listened to both, actually. Oh, you listened I'm to bad. both. You're, you're, I had a lot of podcast listening I'm going to start calling you the Boy Scout for doing all your homework. Uh, so, uh, th- th- there's the two. There's uh, CBC is running uh, Sold, which is a podcast. Uh, and it's in all caps with an exclamation mark. That's why you yelled. Yes, like, <laughs> Sold the musical. I mean, it has to have an exclamation mark at the end. Uh, and then there's this new uh, podcast out of SFU. Ian, do you want to lead off on that one? It's called Metro Conversations. It has four city councillors from New West District of North Vancouver, Langley and Maple Ridge. And I can't remember well, all of Patrick their names. Johnstone Patrick from Johnstone from New West, who's got a great Twitter account, by the way. Uh, and three others that I can't remember their name, but I basically it's in conjunction with SFU's Center for Dialogue, I believe. And they've been running a series of town halls, essentially on different urban issues. And what that podcast is really trying to get into is issues that affect more than just Vancouver. So they're really looking at the rest of the metro because they're all not Vancouver councillors. So they've done good conversations on gender and local politics on single family homes on uh strodes which is street slash roads i'm huge into the strodes they're awful they're terrible and in a town like langley or maple ridge it's how they're built so very passionate conversation on that that patrick will have strong opinions about they're both worth checking out i think Um, the second one sold i think sold sold would have a the musical would have a song uh, about halfway through the first act called Keeping It Realtor. Oh, God. So what Sold is, is Sold is a, one of the latest CBC production podcasts. Uh, and uh, it's run by Stephen Quinn, who does uh, one of the morning shows on CBC radio. Uh, and it's really actually quite neat. It's the idea of this runaway market. Uh, how do we get here? Who is it affecting and why? And what's causing it as best as they can answer? And the one thing I want to say is Stephen Quinn starts off with a mea culpa that I was really respectful of. Is He starts off by saying, by apologizing. He was a municipal beat reporter uh, throughout a lot of the period of time in which a lot of this was happening. And he talks in the very first episode about how, you know, he would write these articles as though this was great. Property value soaring, everyone everyone winning, and no one saw it coming. It was like the, the, the frog in the, 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 the frying pan is that no one saw that, that he kept going up, he kept going up, and no one saw it until eventually it got so bad. And he apologized. He says he's never taken a dollar from developers, but he wants to like he wants to apologize for not catching it sooner. And that's, I think, where a well, lot of this... cocaine feels great until the problems start <laughs> yeah, showing up. <laughs> exactly. And I think, that's, I think that's where this housing thing is, is like... Until about say five or six years ago, no one no one saw this as being a problem. And then it was already too late to stop, and the housing market, like three or four years ago, was when the BC Liberals started introducing their uh, measures to combat the 
thing, like foreign buyers tax, that mm-hmm. super racist thing. Well, I don't. I mean, I think it was sorry. Poorly, it was only, it was so only the sec- mildly racist and incidentally racist, and but. very intelligently. Like the second episode of Sold, he goes yeah. into the race question, and rather than try to tell you how to think about it, he goes and just talks to people. He talks to and Andy everyone. Yan. He yeah. talks to jo- Justin Fung. He talks to people who are. He talks to a senator. That's Andy Yen, who works for yep. uh, the, the Andy Yen, who's a local developer who does a lot of database analysis, who's been accused of being a racist before, even though his grandfather paid, paid, paid the head tax. That's Justin Fung, who runs HALT, which mm-hmm. is a local anti-development organization. Yeah. And he also talks to a, con- a senator. Appointed by just uh, appoint- an independent senator's group senator, yeah. Who, I believe is Chinese-Canadian, mm-hmm. who... You know, is more favorable to developers. So he yeah. talks to kind of everyone and just hears them out. And, so, and I think the so, ultimate conclusion is the foreign buyers taxes. There are racists who support it, but yeah. there are non-racist reasons to support it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like it was. It is unquestionably something that managed to like have an impact on the market. It was just, yep. I, at least in my opinion, Briefly. not the right impact think, to have it wasn't the right tool to use i think a non-residence tax is what i'd be much more comfortable with well, that's probably enough luckily, uh, this is probably a discussion for a whole yeah. separate podcast mm-hmm. and i think we'd like one to of get, the other ones and i think i think hopefully by the way I listen to podkeeper land and politicoast available yeah. wherever fine podcasts are given away for free well and i think i think hopefully as we go forward once the NPA mayoral race settles down once the the, the, the left comes up with its sort of plan. Uh, or doesn't. Or doesn't. Uh, we're really hopeful that we can get into other municipalities. I know we've had people reach out to us that are, are running or involved in campaigning in other municipalities that are looking for us to cover them. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in Surrey. Uh, Surrey. I'm very looking forward to digging into the Richmond race. New Westminster, obviously, is always interesting to cover to a certain extent just because and, it's... And we haven't and mentioned that there's like and new councillors for everywhere. And there might be an amalgamation And the amalgamation push, push. Between district yeah. and city of North Van. And, well, no. And similarly, similarly, we really want to get into a deep dive about some of the, the, the deeper issues going on in Vancouver, uh, talk about some of this housing stuff in more detail. And I think that that's what we're hoping to evolve this podcast into over the course of the summer. But if you're hoping to evolve into some new form of employment, the city is hiring for elections. Mm-hmm. It's a segue that was about <laughs> as awkward as a segue looks. I think it worked. So the city's hiring, <laughs> I think, 1,500 people, and they want to hire them soon. Uh, applications are open now until the end of May. And all you need is to be able to get some hours of training, and then you get your job uh, during the election as a poll clerk or what ha- whatever, a- any number of different jobs that are available. I think it's a it's a great opportunity. I was a poll clerk in the provincial election in 2005, which was a great little paycheck for me in my, my early, early 20s. Uh, and I could you know definitely use it at the time as a student. Uh, and so, yeah, I would highly recommend anybody jump in for this. In are you fact, interested in democracy? Are you able to check if boxes are empty? And are you are able you... to read lists? Are you nice to people? And are you in grade 11 or above? Grade 11 and 12 students, this is open to you too. We'll include a link to more of that in the show notes. In the meantime, it is still 166 days until October 20th. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all those places at Canby Report. Tell friends about us. We've gotten more great reviews. They're always good to pad our egos. Mm -hmm. And if you have uh, great reviews, please leave them on the... A podcast on iTunes that really, really does help find yep. a, help uh, other people find our podcast. And if you don't have great reviews, um, keep them to yourself or yeah. send them to us individually. Yeah, 
And we've had a number of good insider tips in the last weekend, like an awesome number. If you are the kind of person who is involved in a political party, but likes just having that information out there, email us, canebereport at gmail.com. We will not use your name if you don't want us or to. Or we will if you want us to. Yeah. Yeah. I think we we're, we want to be really respectful of everybody that comes forward with information is, you know, and we want, we're not, we're not journalists by trade. Yeah. But uh, much like the Welsh, we are fond of leaks. There you go. I'm Ian Bushfield. I'm Matthew Naylor. And I'm Patrick Meehan. Thanks for listening. As expected, Hector Bremner has been approved for the NPA nomination race and will continue to run uh, against his fellow candidates, Glenn Chernan, John Cooper, and whatever. Those other two guys. Those other folks. Uh, Or, shockingly... Hector Brenner has been the only candidate approved for the NPA nomination <laughs> race. Uh, the race is technically over, and the supply side has won. The civil war on the party has been preempted when Jefferson Davis decided to doff his cap and uh, surrender Richmond to the Union Army. <laughs>